Hello and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and CIMA markets. It's Tuesday, the 14th of June. I'm Giulia Rusconi. And I'm Richard Woolley. Coming up this week, we're going to pull out the most important elements of the detailed cash flow model we published yesterday on French contract catering company Elior. We'll have updates on the primary market and the impact of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But first, we should probably talk about the news on Orpia. Julia, this is one of those names that has come up quite a lot in recent months, and you've been following it closely. So can you give us an overview of what the latest is? So yesterday, Orpea concluded the conciliation procedure with its uh, core banking group, which has consensually agreed to a deal to, that effectively gives the company a longer liquidity runway. The successful conciliation means Orpea avoided a core process under accelerated safeguard. We have extensively discussed what conciliation safeguard means in the podcast of about two weeks ago. So in general, I think it's a good outcome for Orpea and its residents. Uh, the procedure closed fairly quickly, provided Europea with sufficient liquidity for at least uh, the next two years. And the deal, however, has left some of the non-bank investors wondering how covered they are in the capital structure. Okay, what does the new financing package entail? Orpea is obtaining short and medium-term loans for a total of 1.7 billion in the form of a syndicated loan, which is going to be secured against the shares of some of its opcos. And the loan is meant to be used to finance the group's business, repay existing bank debt, but not the bond debt, only bank loans, and uh, uh, fu- finance future capex. In turn, Orpia agreed to, to use the proceeds from uh, asset disposals to pay down these loans and keep a minimum liquidity balance of uh, 300 million euros. There is also an option to raise additional financing from third-party creditors up to 1.5 billion, the so-called C-loans. But we understand from sources that participation in these loans is again opened only to, to, to the bank lenders. Okay. What are your views overall on the financing? So we have talked to many investors over the past couple of weeks, and I think we all share the feeling that um, due to a lack of disclosures and the outcome of the investigations, it's quite difficult to get your head around this transaction and um, the group's future. I mean, the group's operations and financial will likely deteriorate in the short term in view of um, stricter controls and and need to hire more qualified personnel, for example. Um, Investors, and frankly us too, uh, question the the group's ability to achieve the planned asset disposals. If, for example, there is a, a recession and the value of real estate decrease and isn't clear how the group's capital structure will look like. And in the new facility, the 1.7 billion facility is senior secure. But will it rank pari passu to the secure mortgage loans and, and leases? Uh, what is left for bondholders who have unsecured claims? So hopefully we will get some answer soon. Okay, and handily enough, you were also uh, looking at Elior, which is a, a uh, cash flow model and waterfall analysis that we put out yesterday. So uh, could you talk us through uh, some of your findings there as well? Sure. So Elior has had a slow recovery in volumes uh, post-COVID and is likely to be negatively impacted by the unprecedented food inflation following uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. In general, performance has fallen short of the expectations at the time of the issuance of the senior unsecured notes 
in July last year. Just to give you a sense, the, the notes were marketed on a pre-pandemic EBITDA of about 300 million euros. Under our base case, we expect earlier to reach this level of EBITDA uh, only in fiscal year 2025. So we're talking about four years uh, from the notes issue date. As I said, one of the problems is the slow recovery in volumes. For example, as of last March, um, the revenue reached only 87% of uh, pre-pandemic revenue, while its direct peers like Aramark, Sodexo and Compass had already reached uh, almost 100%. And the, the other issue is around profitability. So there are unprofitable legacy contracts uh, with customers and only 8% of the contracts uh, feature a mechanism to um, pass cost inflation through customers immediately. The other uh, contracts require negotiations with clients on top of usual price revisions. The most difficult contracts are um, those with the public sector where prices are revised only yearly. So we understand that at the moment renegotiating these uh, unprofitable contracts has really become Elior's um, priority, as management said in the last uh, um, earnings call. Okay, and do you expect this renegotiation of contracts to be a success? Yes, I mean, in the, in the short term, we think uh, margins will still very much depress by inflation. Uh, but the group should at least be able to pass cost inflation through um, at least in a timely manner from next year. It's still unclear what sort of indexation clause um, Elior is trying to achieve. So our base case is more conservative than management's plan. And the 550 million unsecured notes uh, trading about 82 today, uh, yielding 9%. Is this attractive, do you think? Under our waterfall analysis, we calculate that the, the notes benefit from a satisfactory uh, equity cushion. We forecast also that the group can delever over time and refinance its uh, capital structure. But there is a, a big risk that the liquidity could come under pressure. Indeed, we forecast that Ilior will need to draw on their RCF over the next um, two years or so. Um, but the group could be in breach of the financial covenants um, under its senior credit facilities. And the senior credit facilities are the, the term loan and the RCF. Uh, at the moment, Ailer enjoys a covenant holiday until March next year. But in a scenario where the covenant is not waived again on that date and later, Ailer may not be able to use the RCF and it would not have sufficient cash to serve its uh, operations. Likewise, lenders could accelerate the debt and um, will not be able uh, to repay the facilities in full in this scenario. We, not, we do not think uh, lenders would accelerate the debt given that they have been supportive in the past, but there is still a risk that they would not renew the support over a prolonged period of time. So after having said all of that, um, considering the premium the notes offer compared to similarly rated issuances, and considering where the market is now, we do not think the, the yield and the premium is wide enough to compensate investors for the risk of uh, financial covenant breach and potential liquidity issues. Ian Wilson is a staff writer in our London office and is responsible for our weekly primary pipeline of all the current and prospective deals in the high yield and leverage loan markets. I caught up with him earlier today to get an overview of the current state of play for European primary. Investor start activity would pick up after the Jubilee weekend in the UK and there were a couple of new deals in the market, but overall conditions are still pretty challenging. US automation software group Kofax 
is marketing a 300 million euro and 1.025 billion dollar first Lien term loan bees which are expected to price today. Price top, which is in the 93 to 94 range, with a margin of 525 bips over SOFA and Euribor, points to how investor-friendly deals need to be to attract investors at the moment. French medical laboratory group Inovi has set price top for its 400 million euro non-fungible term loan B add-on at a slightly tighter but still generous 500 bips over Euribor with an OID in the range of 96 and 97. At the smaller end of the spectrum, Norwegian cruise operator Herti Gruten is aiming to raise a 25 million euro tap of its senior unsecured green bond due 2025, which investors expect to be done privately because of the difficult market conditions and the fact that the sector got hit particularly hard by COVID and is still recovering. The bond pays an 11% coupon, which could be high enough to secure the relatively modest amount the company wants to raise. Companies that have closed deals recently include private school operator Inspired Education, which priced its 250 million euro incremental seam secured terminal B at 97.5 with a margin of 450 bits over Euribor, which was at the tighter end of price talk despite the difficult market. And when a credit is of higher quality, like Finnish sustainable food packaging provider Hootamaki's 500 million euro five-year senior unsecured bond, it is possible to price a deal with a lower coupon, in this case 4.25%. Conditions have become more challenging this week. There's talks of banks lining up to provide financing for the acquisition of Motor Fuel Group, but this is unlikely to come to primary debt markets anytime soon. Last week's US inflation data showed prices continuing to rise sharply and the ECB has signalled that it will follow the Federal Reserve and Bank of England in increasing interest rates. This has pushed the ITRAX crossover index to 526.7 yesterday and it climbed further today to 547, its highest level since the beginning of the pandemic. Magnus Sherman is the editor responsible for our CMEA coverage and he joined me again to give an update on the fallout from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Hi Magnus, uh, thanks for joining us again. So last week we discussed Yandex and we have an update this week. Yeah, we do because um, on Friday last week they announced uh, a uh, an indicative uh, some indicative terms of an agreement with uh, a large part of their bondholders. Um, just to remind people that this is Yandex, the the Russian sort of Google. Um, that it's a search engine provider and uh, they have a 1.25 billion dollar convertible bond due in 2025 but because of a delisting event that took place right after Russia invaded Ukraine uh, the bondholders had a put option for this bond and the company couldn't pay uh, at par so uh, they have been negotiating since then and the the agreement is basically two things Um, one is that the company will pay 70 percent cash for the the debt held by the bondholders but they will also pay um, a certain amount in shares, in Class A shares in um, in Yandex. And this is interesting because OFAC in the US has specifically banned um, any sort of purchase of equities or shares in companies in Russia or companies held outside of Russia that generate the majority of their revenue in Russia. And so this is a bit unclear if um, if the agreement with uh, the Yandex bondholders constitutes a new investment in Russia. 
uh, we've tried to speak to the company, but they haven't um, they haven't come back to us. And um, there's uh, there's no clarity around this at the moment, but um, but it will be sort of the first test of OFAC's rules. Okay, and what do you think is going to happen next here? Yeah, so uh, a few things. Yandex said uh, on Friday last week that it'll use all sort of reasonable efforts to deliver the share consideration um, when it's legally permissible. We don't know what that actually means, and there were no hard deadlines given. Um, the uh, the, the uh, bondholders and the company have agreed to uh, to extend the uh, this delisting period so that uh, that gives the company some time to buy back the notes according to these indicative terms. Um, but when and if these shares are going to be delivered to bondholders, we don't know, and um, we haven't heard from anyone. Also, OFAC hasn't hasn't commented uh, commented on this. Um, so that's a thing to to look out for because it will set a precedent for uh, other situations that are very similar, uh, Oson, also in Russia, and VK Company. And uh, any of the lawyers among the sources that you speak to taking a view about what might happen next? No, uh, very, uh, people are very cautious around this because you don't want to be the uh, the law firm that puts your head uh, out first and says, we have a very strong view on this and that will not trigger that. Because if you're wrong, uh, it'll be very hard to get work uh, later on. And, um, and I think there's definitely more appetite to wait and see. I see. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank you. Beginning today and continuing until the 16th of June, our team will be in Barcelona for the Global ABS Conference, where Senior Director Ben Kovachka is speaking on the FinTech Advancements Panel. The annual event provides insight into the latest trends and updates on regulatory developments, emerging asset classes, products and geographies. If you're also going to be there and would like to speak to a member of the Reorg team, email your account representative or marketing at reorg.com. Reorg Managing Director Mario Oliveiro will be at the AFMI Paris seminar organised in collaboration with White and Case, which will highlight the key trends, opportunities and challenges that 2020 is bringing to Europe's leveraged finance market. This event will take place on the 16th of June at White and Case's Paris offices. Also on the 16th of June, Reorg's Asia team is hosting a webinar in which our Shanghai correspondent Catherine Shi will share her experiences of living and working through the lockdown in China discuss the outlook for the reopening and offer takeaways from the front lines of reporting on the Chinese real estate sector. Zhengguang Tan, Director of Asia Credit Research, will present recent real estate-related statistics and trends. That's Shanghai Reopening, View from the Front Lines, Thursday the 16th of June at 5pm Hong Kong time or 10am British Standard Time. More information on all the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.